Hi everyone, welcome to May 25th, 2018 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the NFL announcing this week that it will find teams with players who kneel during the national anthem. Controversy and conversations have been looming on this issue since Colin Kaepernick began the demonstration as a statement against pol police brutality in 2016. Patty Cahoon from Westward, even Denver Broncos have entered this foray. We saw uh, a story today about uh, the Broncos' own Brandon Marshall and his comments about uh, President Trump's comments about this whole thing. So it's bound to get even bigger. What are your thoughts? That the NFL would have been really smart to stay out of it right now rather than come out with this blanket policy. You know, uh, Brandon Marshall, when he's saying it's a First Amendment issue, it is off the field. The question is, in your terms of your contract, what do you have to do? This is not the same as being censored, say, at the Denver Post. We're hearing a lot about First Amendment right now. But even so, people should have the right to something like this on free speech. I think the NFL made a big misstep coming out with a blanket policy. Let the owners decide what they want their teammates, their team members to do. David Copel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. I've heard some talk about, David, that Yes, everyone has a First Amendment right, but when you're at work, those can be curtailed. That your your employer can can say what can and can't happen there. Legally, is uh, is this clean like that? Yes, it, it can't violate the collective bargaining agreement the players have with the uh, the owners. But some a court might end up deciding that. But probably this is not something in the collective bargaining agreement. It's more in the the operations manual, um, so the owners can change that. Of course, players have their free speech rights, and the, the government can't punish them for it. And, of course, it was cynical for Trump to reignite this culture war issue last year when the protests had, were, were pretty much fizzling out, and he, he got them going again, which, you know, he has the synergy where he, he and the anti-American left both benefit from each other and, and, and feed off each other. Uh, the owners have their rights too because they're putting on an entertainment product their employers are on the stage in effect in costume and when your employees in costume are doing things that are offending and driving away a significant number of your paying customers the owners in any business are probably gonna put a stop to that my own view is I don't watch this show for sports, you know, the time we had the beach volleyball tournament was a real fiasco and the viewers hated it. And <laughs> likewise, I don't watch football uh, for the politics. So when you get something like the NFL that is now pro-con, whatever you think, it's completely enmeshed in politics and culture wars. I'll go to other sports because I want to get away from politics when I'm watching sports. Eric Sonnen, political analyst. Eric, I always love talking about optics with you. Uh, you get them on both sides of this. You have people like, I can't believe this happens. I'm never watching the NFL again. You have other, you have other folks saying, hey, this makes it even uh, worse that owners have this kind of looks like, again, optics, that a plantation mentality of saying, here's how it will work in my company, especially when you see uh, the racial difference between ownership and the majority of, uh, of the employees within the NFL. Uh, when the announcement came down this week, what did you think? I thought, uh, to differ with Patty slightly, I thought it was probably a pretty smart move, not necessarily the right move, but a smart move on the part of the NFL to take it out of the hands of individual owners so that individual owners, I mean, the NFL as a league behind the, quote, shield exists to somewhat take the individual owners off the hot seat. So individual owners didn't have to decide their own policy uh, team by team. There is now a, a, a league policy um, on, on this thing. As has been said, uh, the employers, the league, has a right 
to require certain conduct of its employees, in this case, its players. Just because they have a right to do so doesn't, in my mind, make it right at a different level. Um, if it is not a free speech issue, legally, it still is in the spirit of a free speech issue. I'm not a fan of kneeling during the protest. I think it signifies uh, a, a certain level of, uh, well, let's say at a minimum loss of perspective on, on, on what this country offers and what this country provides. But free speech is important not to protect popular speech, it's important to protect unpopular speech. And uh, just because I don't agree with kneeling during the anthem, uh, that doesn't mean somebody else shouldn't have the ability to do it. Uh, even if the NFL is within their legal rights and the, and the players are likely to lose in a court of law. Scott Wasserman joins us, president of the Bell Policy Center. It's good to have you back on the panel. Uh, Scott, I saw some owners, knowing their audience a little bit better, the owner of the New York Jets already came out and said, hey, I'll pay any fine that my players come up against. And already seen people on Twitter who may not have known one Jet from the other Jet, probably thought the Jets were some part of West Side Story, saying now they're my favorite team. So uh, I know there's politics right throughout this, and owners on the complete other side. When you saw the headline, what did you think? Well, I think those owners who have offered to pay on behalf of their players are probably continuing to remember that this is about police brutality in the first place. And I think that fact has gotten completely lost in this conversation. And I think that when we talk about this in the prism of employee-employer relations, what we're, what we're forgetting is, is how creepy and how radical it is that the President of the United States is hanging his hat on this as a victory for his presidency. The rhetoric that he's using has gotten so radicalized, talking about, well, maybe these folks don't even belong in the country. I just think we've grown so numb to how radically authoritarian this president is. Let's get to it. Tomorrow will mark one month until Colorado's primary election day. So let's take a look at how the governor's race is shaping up. Television ads from Jared Polis, Kerry Kennedy, and Mike Johnson are all over the airwaves, joined by a few from Walker Stapleton and Victor Mitchell. Starting next Friday, we here at Colorado Public Television will be kicking off our Colorado Decides debate series, first with the Democrats running for governor at 9 p.m. next Friday. That's June 1st, 9 p.m. And 9 p.m. Uh, every Friday in June until the primary election, we'll have some special debates for you, so be sure to tune in. But right now, we're talking about the governor's race. Patty, I, it's, it's hard for me to say that just uh, because of the ads we see that that tells any momentum. Uh, there's fundraising from a lot of different areas, whether it's where Michael, Mike Johnston has got his uh, fundraising outside of the state, Jared Poles from his own pocketbook, Carrie Kennedy, who's been racing for quite a, while, quite a while, and Donna Lynn's still there. She still has that tattoo web, which I think has made a lot of shock value. We just don't see it as often. Uh, from what we've seen so far, both from the Democrats and the Republicans, what are your thoughts? Well, my first thought is, look how far we've come. We haven't talked about this for a while on this show, but the clown cars, cars have been circling, circling, and they're still crowded. I mean, we were we had some early bailers. I mean, uh, Pearl Mutter jumped out of the Democratic car. Tancredo was a surprise bailer from the Republican car. But you still have four viable-ish candidates in the Democratic Party. You've got Four people still crammed in the Republican car, although Stapleton is clearly in the driver's seat there. So we can see a lot of action over the next month, especially as so far the Democrats haven't been picking at each other so much, and they may not, but the Republicans certainly have been. You know, Doug Robinson has been on the attack. We're going to hear a lot of picking apart Walker Stapleton, I think, over the next four weeks. And the Democrats, they're just going to be pouring that money out. If you've seen the ads that are out there, I don't think the ads are particularly effective yet, but there's very little polling out there, so it's still hard to tell. It looks like Jared 
is in the lead, but Kerry Kennedy had certainly gained momentum. Johnston hasn't given up, nor has Donna Lynn. So we're going to have a wild ride up until the 26th. And there's also the issue of all the unaffiliated voters, which is more than a third of the voters in Colorado, can decide to vote in either primary. They just have to declare. Be, that's right. And if you haven't declared, you get both ballots. You can only send in one. If you send in both, both get nullified. So that's a, that's a good uh, segue to a PSA. David, uh, the initial TV ads do not a platform make, but it at least gives us a clue of where the candidates want to focus, where they, where they think they can separate themselves from the pack. We've seen, uh, that's a Freudian slip, we've seen Mike Johnston double down <laughs> on uh, gun ads and gun topic. That, that's where he's going, uh, thinking that's where he's at. We've seen uh, Jared Polis really get into, I think, some uh, left of, uh, the left wing of the Democratic Party talking about universal health care and, and paying for kindergarten for everybody and uh, renewable energy. I'm not criticizing the ideas, but those aren't where you're going to get uh, a centrist, uh, unaffiliated voter in Colorado. From what we've seen so far, what stands out to you that might separate some of these candidates from the pack? Well, I think one thing that is, this is the first, because of a constitutional amendment enacted last election, unaffiliated voters can now choose to vote in, in either primary. And it, it's certainly notable on the Democratic side how little appeal there is to that. You know, this is not a case where you have a Democrat who says, sure, I'm, I'm a regular Democrat, but I'm also kind of mavericky, and I'm, I'm not the, I don't toe the line, uh, I'm, I'm an independent thinker, come and vote for me for pragmatic solutions for Colorado. You see a little bit of that on, on some Republican candidates and some other races, trying to appeal to the unaffiliated, but none of that going on on the Democratic side. They're all racing to the hard left of the party, presumably because that's where they think the votes are. That will will make it harder for them in, in the general election for whoever emerges. I think one of the interesting things is the, the contrast between the candidates. We don't see that much in the TV ads or in their, their mailers, of which some, you know, Polis and Johnston are pumping out a huge amount of those as well, is the profound difference on education reform. Uh, Jared Polis and Mike Johnston have a long identification with that issue, and you know it's, it's certainly been historically something that is very welcome in the Democratic Party. Uh, former State Senate President Peter Groff is uh, a member of Democrats for Education Reform. Uh, former House Speaker Mark Ferrandino is a member of Democrats for Education Reform, and yet the uh, party convention adopted a resolution demanding that Democrats for Education Reform remove Democrats from their name. And the majority of the delegates who voted for that, Kerry Kennedy, is certainly their person, the most hardline, complete opponent of the union is always right, no reform ever other than, than more money out of the taxpayers, and all accountability, all choice is a terrible idea, is the sort of general idea. Um, it would be nice to see maybe the debates uh, focus on that issue where there is a much more profound difference among the candidates than on most other topics. Eric, you'll be joining me, speaking of those debates, uh, next Friday, June 1st, uh, for a big uh, Democratic gubernatorial primary debate along with Sean Boyd from Channel 4. It's going to be great. Be sure to tune in, 9 o'clock next Friday. Uh, we've been giving the Republicans a pass so far. Uh, Victor Mitchell be, I don't want to say called up, but at least we have to notice that his whole ad is basically saying that California is some sort of third world country, uh, that it's so terrible, we don't want to become that. I, I'm not sure what state he's chosen that would be a better model to go with, but it's, we don't want to become California, so vote for him. Uh, and then Walker Stapleton uh, came out and said, hey, I was the only one to support Donald Trump's tax, or only state treasurer to support Donald Trump's tax cut. Uh, and that's making uh, a pretty bold stance, again, 
not necessarily looking for those unaffiliated centrist voters, which I get, you, that, that's not your bread and butter in a primary. Uh, but from both what you've seen, Republicans and the Democrats, any, uh, any plot line that has made an interest to you? Yeah, let me start with the Republicans here. I think the Democrats have the more interesting primary and the more competitive primary, mm -hmm. but let me quickly touch on the Republicans. I think Walker Stapleton is making a number of strategic errors here. Walker Stapleton has a luxury that none of the Democrats have, which is to run a November race even now in, in May and June, and instead he's running a May and June race when I don't think he needs to. I think he should be pivoting or ready to make himself a viable general election candidate. This governor's race in November is going to be tough enough for Walker Stapleton as the presumptive Republican nominee as it is. He is making it tougher for himself by using his advertising dollars to overly embrace Donald Trump. He doesn't need that to win this primary. To have Tom Tancredo give his nominating speech at the convention in Boulder, you don't think that one might come back to bite him come September, October, etc.? Uh, you know, in tennis, it's called unforced errors, and I think uh, Stapleton is making a number of these unforced errors, and as we've talked about on this show before, that he's ducking and dodging um, our debate and refusing to show up for our debate. He ought to be using these debates with the Doug Robinsons and Victor Mitchells and Greg Lopez's of the world to sharpen his skills because he's going to need that when he faces off against whoever the Democratic nominee is. Unforced errors on Stapleton's part. Democratic side, I can still make a viable case for, uh, it's harder to make that case for Donald Lynn, but uh, for either of those three candidates, you have Polis's money, you have Kerry Kennedy's energy, enthusiasm. I do have to say, of the ads I've seen so far, and I've not studied every ad in detail, I find Kerry Kennedy's ads quite refreshing. I think they have a, it's not a content piece, it's sort of a style piece. Um, and I think she's sort of capturing the zeitgeist of the year. And the biggest way she's capturing that zeitgeist is just by being who she is, which is female. If you look at Democratic primaries around this country, uh, that have, that have taken place over the last month for state office, for Congress, for whatever. Women Democrats are winning an incredible proportion of those primary races. Whether that translates into November, time will tell. But uh, this is a good year to be a, a female Democratic candidate. Kerry has a lot of wind at her back. Scott, I can't help but think about uh, somewhat of the battle of the heart of the Democratic Party in 2016. You had Bernie Democrats, you had Hillary Democrats. And, and I think it's less about just those two candidates, but more about uh, a wing that wanted to push some issues and a wing that was still a little bit more traditional mainstream Democrat. I don't know if that, that fight has necessarily gone away. And I don't know if we have those players in the Democratic Party right now. Am I nuts or, or do you see elements of that as well? You know, interestingly, I mean, for all the divisions that I see in this race, that's probably the one division that I don't see playing out in the gubernatorial is this sort of Bernie versus, you know, the centrist Democrats dynamic. Um, I think what's really, I mean, I came home yesterday to a Mike Johnston mailer that I could use as a blanket. I was that large. <laughs> I mean, I think, I, I think that money is really going to make the difference. It's Memorial Day weekend this weekend. I think uh, primary voters better be prepared for a cumulative toll of, of about $10 million being spent in terms of mailers, uh, TV ads, and I think you're going to see the sands shift uh, dramatically over the next two weeks in a race that has sort of seemed pretty stable and un. un, un unable to make a call in, 
Um, and that money is also, by the way, going to make a difference with those independent voters because right. who has the reach into those independent voters? And I just want to make one point, you know, uh, t in reference to sort of D David's point about, you know, why are we tacking to the left on guns? Clearly, these campaigns see that this is an important issue for independents. Otherwise, a candidate like Mike Johnson would not be making this his number one issue for this campaign. He's got to get the votes from the independents. Internal polling is showing something. What may come as a surprise to some is that there is a Democratic primary in the 6th Congressional District. The race took an interesting turn over the last month as Democratic Minority Whip Steny Hoyer was secretly recorded on tape encouraging candidate Levi Tillman to drop out of the race. In the audio, Hoyer praises opponent Jason Crow as a chosen one who has been handpicked to beat incumbent Mike Kaufman. David, I guess what was surprised here is that uh, uh, candidate Tillman, Tillman said, Let's just scorched earth and release it, which uh, ticked off a lot of people within the, the base. But, hey, if you're going to win, uh, it's, it's a full-contact sport that is politics. Uh, when, does Kaufman have anything to gain from this fight we've seen make headlines? Oh, perhaps. But I think the more interesting thing is what's going on for the, the, the primary voters. Um, Steny Hoyer, the Democratic <coughs> leader in Congress, is, of course, absolutely right that it is a historical tradition for the national parties to come in and Bigfoot in primaries and sometimes anoint their cho chosen person and make and based on their belief about who's most viable in the general election. It's how the Democrats under Rahm Emanuel uh, took back the, the House of Representatives in 2006 and it's how the Republicans took the Senate in 1994. Um, and what Hoyer said to Tillman was, look, we're I don't know anything about Colorado, basically, but A, we're listening to what the Colorado congressional delegation told us, which is, is representatives to Gap, Perlmutter, and Polis, that Jason Crow is the guy to go for. Now, that said, Tillman has, and Crow's a very substantial, serious person, uh, Tillman has a lot of his own advantages, deep roots in Denver, speaks multiple languages, which is especially helpful in a really diverse district like Boulder. So sometimes those candidates who are getting pushed out say, no, I'm still going to stay in and I'm, I'm going to fight. His key thing is Hoyer said, oh, well, we've got this poll that uh, says that Crow would do much better against Kaufman than you would, uh, but we won't show you the poll. So Tillman's went and gone, gotten, hired that same company to do a poll that shows how the two candidates do. And he says, if, if, if Crow really is doing that much better than me against Kaufman, I'll... Uh, um, I'll drop out. I sort of doubt that is the case because my guess is among the broader electorate in that district, neither one has name, much name recognition yet. And people who would say I'm for the one or the other are just saying I'm for the Democrat rather than knowing too much about one, one of them. Eric, this kind of uh, party dirty laundry is fun for this table, and we've had fun with this over 26 years. But does it make much of a difference when we get to Election Day? Yeah, it makes a difference. I think the the dust up between Crow and Tilleman and with Steny Hoyer and the National Democrats being involved, to me, it is just symptomatic of a much bigger trend that's going on in the Democratic Party locally, nationally. We've seen in the news over the last 24 hours that the Tom Perez, the head of the DNC nationally, after pledging that he was going to stay out of primaries through his weight behind Andrew Cuomo in, in, in New York State, the incumbent governor who's running against Cynthia Nixon uh, of Sex and the City fame uh, and who is the popular Bernie leftist insurgent candidate. Uh, and, and, and that's caused a national division in the ranks with, with Perez's move. Here locally, you have a significant event happening not only in, in CD6, the Kaufman.